God wants you to live a holy life. He has provided for us all that we need. He has sent His Spirit into our hearts to give us the power to resist sin and also to stir up new desires within our hearts. But we must face squarely the difficulty that still remains. We must realise the battle and know something of the enemy, the enemy within us. The Holy Spirit does not drive out this enemy uh, at once. It is a gradual process. And during this process, we come to terms with the nature of this enemy within and also our need to rely upon God. During this process of overcoming this sin within, uh, we grow in faith. It is a faith-building process. But it is also a repentance-building process. As we grow to see our own sin and we grow to hate it. Today, we will be focusing on this second thing, this repentance uh, building, uh, and uh, this, which might be considered a, a negative aspect. So today, what we're looking at will be challenging. It will be challenging. Well, hopefully, it'll be challenging. Uh, I find it challenging uh, as we consider such things in Scripture. Now, as we work our way through these verses, our verses today are, are verses 19 to 21. Uh, first up, we're going to uh, understand sin, understand something of the nature of sin. That's what we're going to do first, and that's from the beginning of verse 19. And then secondly, we're going to think about identifying sin. So first, understanding sin, and then identifying sin. And we're going to look through the list of sins that Paul gives us, uh, stretching from uh, from verse 19 and on into verse 21. And then finally, we're going to finish up our time by thinking uh, about repenting uh, of sin or overcoming sin, you might say. So let's begin by looking at the first point, understanding sin. In verse 19, Paul begins by saying that the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are evident. That is, that the deeds of the flesh are clear or plain. Now, we must note Paul's move here. What was he talking about a few verses before? Well, before, he was talking about the desire of the flesh. But now, he's talking about the deeds of the flesh. The desire of the flesh is hidden within our hearts. But the deeds of the flesh are not hidden. They come out. They're visible. They're clear. 
Now, I must remind you um, that the word flesh here, as Paul uses it uh, in, in this context, is, does not refer to the physical body. It's our fallen nature. It's our corrupt hearts. That, that's what he's referring to. Now, we need to understand this connection, this connection between this desire of the flesh that Paul mentioned earlier and the deeds of the flesh. Because notice how he describes in verse 19, he describes them as the deeds of the flesh, of the flesh. In other words, Paul doesn't simply call it sin. He wants us to see that there's a connection between the deeds and its source, our fallen nature. He wants us to understand that corrupt deeds come from corrupt desires. Or to put it another way, sin outside comes from sin inside. And this principle is stated so clearly by the Lord Jesus uh, in Matthew 15 that we read a moment ago. Matthew 15 and verse 18, Jesus said these words. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. All of those things, where do they come from? They come from the heart. They come from the core of our being. What that means is that we cannot excuse our wrong deeds as if They are not the real us. We can't say, you know, I I just, I had a bad day or I was under pressure. Now, these deeds really do come from us and do tell us of the real us. We are seeing what is within, what is within coming out. Perhaps we're seeing it for the first time. But we must understand that when we are under pressure, what comes out is what's within. It's like we're squeezed and something comes out. What comes out is what is within. It may shock us because it was hidden before, but it was always there. Now, although there there is much negative that we could say about these deeds of the flesh... When they come out, I I think we can as Christians see it positively. When it comes out, we have an opportunity to deal with it. In a sense, when when these deeds of the flesh are practiced by us, God has given us a window to see within. And when this happens, what we need to do is we need to look in the window. And we need to see what's there. It's a window of the soul. It helps us to see what is really in our heart and we must take note of what we see. It may be ugly. It might be unpleasant. We may love to to deny it, but it is us. 
Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Having struggled with this thing of, of this reality of, of, of sinning, of doing the wrong thing. This is what he concludes. He says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. And later on, he cries out, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. So he, he, he came through that process. He came to see what was really within. He came to see that nothing good dwells in him. That is in his flesh. That's apart from the work of God, apart from the Holy Spirit. There's nothing good. When the heart, when the, this reality rather is hidden in the heart, when the flesh is concealed, its true nature is undetected because it's dormant, inactive. It's only when it's active that we can spot it, like a virus. We may have a virus in our bodies, but before it takes effect, we may not know it. We may be contagious and we may spread it, but we don't know because there are no signs. It's only when it has the signs, the symptoms, that we can recognise that we have a virus. And when it becomes visible, then we can do something about it. And so it is with our fallen nature, when these deeds come out, then we have the opportunity to deal with it. Then we can come to God with this knowledge of ourselves and ask forgiveness. Then we can go to him and cry out to him for strength and grace. Then we can have the opportunity of saying no to it and rejecting it and resisting it. When we see these things in our lives, these deeds of the flesh, we must recognize that they come from us. We can't blame people, nor circumstances, like I had a bad day. Nor can we blame God as if God uh, made me like this. Nor can we say, well, that wasn't really me. That was so out of character. Now, sometimes when we do these things, we want to just sort of push them back under and hide them and cover them over and pretend that it never happened. Sometimes we just point to other people and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. We can't do these things. When, we, when the fruit of the flesh become evident in our lives, it's an opportunity to fit for us to see the true state of our hearts. And it should have at least two effects upon us. The first one is that it should humble us. It should humble us. God has provided a window for us to look in and see what is there. And we should, having done that, we should draw two conclusions. The first is that I'm no better than others. And the second, that I therefore cannot judge anybody else. Or be overly critical of them. 
So that's the first thing that should affect and it should have upon us is to humble us. The second effect that it should have on us is to drive us to Christ. God has allowed me to see me. It is as if a mirror of our soul. In the mirror, I can see what I'm like. I can realize the problem. But God has not done that to crush me, to drive me to despair, as a Christian at least, but rather to go to him for the cure so that we might know his forgiveness and his cleansing. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1. He says this, verses 8 and 9, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God has shown us our sin that we might go to him. He's shown us, he's given us an opportunity to see what, is, what we're really like so that we might run to Christ and have that forgiveness that we so desperately need. So, understanding sin or the deeds of the flesh. Where do they come from? They come from the flesh. They come from our fallen nature. Well, secondly... Identifying sin, identifying sin. Verses, uh, well, the second part of verse 19, off on into 21. We're going to look at this list, but before we do, it's important for us when thinking about sin to be specific. Everybody admits that they do wrong. Even unbelievers are willing to admit that they do wrong. But that's not sufficient. That's not specific enough. But sometimes as Christians, we do the same. We, we, just, we stay in the, the realm of the general. Sometimes we come to God and we pray for forgiveness and we ask, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. And we stop there. We're not, we're not specific with him. We're not asking him particularly for forgiveness for my anger or the way I spoke to my wife or, or my attitude uh, at work today. What sin am I guilty of? That's really important. I've got to ask that. Be specific. It's very helpful too to make a list, even a mental list of the major ones, of the ones we, we trip up over time and time again. Paul is specific. He gives us a list of sins. He names them. He gives us a list of 15. But of course, this is only a sample. At the end of the list, he says, and things like these. And we can go to other parts of his writings and we can find longer lists. We can go to Romans chapter 1 or to 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 and, and many other places where he gives a list of sins. And so there are so many others. Paul may not mention your particular sins today. 
you may be guilty of others, but you've got to identify them. But let's look at the ones that Paul lists for us. And, uh, and in this list, I've, I've broken it up, there are, there are four categories. And it's not just me who recognises that. Lots of uh, the commentators that I've consulted uh, identify these same four categories. And what are they? Well, the first is sexual. The second, religious. The third, relational. And the fourth, I've termed recreational. For want of a, a better term. So first sexual. Let's have a look in verse 19, the last three words, immorality, impurity, sensuality. The first word that Paul uses here is the common word for sexual immorality, porneia. Uh, and, and so it, it covers a range of things, but perhaps in this list he's, he's thinking of the more normal, ordinary types of sexual immorality. The second word, uh, uncleanness, seems to step it up a bit. Uh, or impurity, as our version has it. But li quite literally, it's just uncleanness. Uh, and this seems to refer to particularly unnatural and perverse practices. And, uh, and there are many that people are guilty of today. Perverse, unnatural, contrary to uh, the way that God has made us. And then thirdly, lastly, the word uh, translated here, sensuality. Uh, it seems that, that this word emphasises uh, sexual sin of a nature that is more flagrant, public or unashamed. Uh, people doing it in an open um, way without seeking to conceal it, being, going public with it uh, as it is indeed today. Sexual sin is common. It was common in Paul's day. It's common today. And, and for us, in so many settings, it's, it's acceptable. Many people see it as just a bit of harmless fun. But it's not that way to God. God designed it and knows the proper place. And that proper place is marriage between one man and one woman. If we misuse it, it becomes destructive. As we are witnessing today, destructive, destructive of, of human life. We see it in abortion. We see it uh, physically uh, in homosexuality. Uh, we see it uh, in, in so many uh, uh, emotional ways where people are practicing it outside of the confines of a committed relationship. Destructive. God designed it. He knows the proper place for it. And so we must listen to him. It's wisdom to listen to the God who made it. Secondly, religious. Religious. He mentions two words here, idolatry and sorcery. First word, idolatry. God made us religious. But this has been 
distorted by the fall. And that's why we see so many religions around us. We are inherently a religious people. But the distortion of it is because of the fall. Most of our religion is idolatrous and actually anti-God. We make religion more about us than about him. Now, the second word, uh, the Greek word is pharmaka uh, pharmakeia. Uh, we would get the word pharmacy or pharmacist from. It was about making potions. Uh, sometimes these were for medicinal purposes, but obviously as our translation indicates, sorcery, these are not for medicinal purposes. These are people trying to uh, tap into powers that God has not given to humans. And so it is with so much false religion, there's a failure for humans to live within uh, the confines of our human nature. They want more power, more abilities than what God has given to us. Well, the third category, relational. And this is by far the longest list of words. Uh, in our version, there are eight words. Uh, let me just give you a sense of what uh, they cover. They cover things like ill feeling or hatred toward another human being, being argumentative, rivalry or a competitive spirit, hot anger, the Greek word thumos, uh, uh, speaks of, of rage and an explosive kind of anger. Uh, selfish ambition, uh, making everything about us and seeing people as just uh, pawns in our game. Being divisive, causing rifts between people. Party spirit, as if we're on the right side and everybody else is wrong. Uh, envy, uh, which is to... Uh, be somewhat displeased that other people have things that we do not. We could make a longer list of these types of relational sins. These sins that Paul lists here, are, are, are some of them anyway, are everyday deeds of the flesh. Uh, these are things that can go past unnoticed without raising an eyebrow. These things can be hidden. But when we see them, when we see them in ourselves, we must understand that what we're seeing is the flesh at work. Some of the other sins that I've mentioned, you may not be particularly guilty of, but maybe this is your sin. And we often excuse these types of sins, but they can do so much harm. So much harm, so much harm to the people around us, to the relationships we have, so much destruction within the family, within churches, within society. We cannot excuse these types of relational sins. It's the longest list, and I'm sure that's for a reason. These are the most common things that you and I are guilty of, how we treat one another. 
Well, fourthly, I've turned these last two as recreational. He mentions here drunkenness and carousing. Drunkenness. It's not a sin to drink alcohol, but the sin is overindulgence. The lack of restraint. Carousing, these often go together, these two. Carousing is a word that, to describe what would happen on a feast day. Partying. Pleasure without self-control. Drink, sex, food, inappropriate conversation. And we see it today in, uh, in, in adult parties and even teenage parties where there is a horrible lack of self-restraint. What do we see in our own lives? What do we see in our own lives? This list is given to us by Paul not to use against others, to measure other people against us, but rather to identify our own sins, our own sins. Certainly, Paul addressed such sins in Galatia. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you're not consumed by one, uh, you are not consumed by one another. It was in Galatia, and perhaps that's why Paul does uh, emphasize these relational sins because it was common in the church there. It's not to be used against the unbelievers outside, but ourselves, us personally. What are they? What are your sins that you're guilty of regularly? You need to, un, uh, to uh, identify them. Some may be more hidden. Some you may be able to sort of keep under wraps so that it doesn't come out too often. Some may be ones that people just accept around you. But we must understand that whatever sin it is, it's all from the same source, the flesh. All of these Paul puts together. And it's amazing when you read through the list that Paul uh, gives us. He puts all kinds of things together, things we wouldn't put together. The most flagrant kinds of open sin and the most hidden and even uh, somewhat acceptable ones. Paul puts them together because they're all from the same source, the flesh. Perhaps it's the real danger that we have in the church of demonizing certain sins while practicing another type of sin. This is hypocrisy. We cannot do this. All sin, whatever sin it is, all comes from the same source, our fallen human nature. And it reveals that each one of us have that fallen human nature. So we cannot demonize any sin of another person and excuse our own. Identify our sins. This is what we must do, brothers and sisters. Make a list, make a mental list of the ones that you consistently uh, fall into. 
so that you may target those uh, in your life. Well, lastly, lastly, we're looking at repenting of sin. Listen to what Paul says and how he concludes. He says, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, this is so serious. This is so serious. Paul ends with a serious warning. A warning that he gives that seemed to be part of his normal preaching. He forewarns them again as he did forewarn them in the past. A similar warning he repeats to the Corinthians as well. And the warning is this. If we allow our fallen nature to rule our lives, we will not inherit God's kingdom. In other words, we will not be welcomed into heaven. It's as plain and simple as that. Now, let's be clear about what Paul is saying. He is not saying that if you've ever done these things, you're not going to make it into heaven. Of course, he's not saying that. We know that, 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 that uh, we're welcomed into heaven, not because we're pure and perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace alone. Heaven is a place for sinful people who have been forgiven. But nor is Paul saying that as a Christian, if you've lapsed from time to time into these behaviours, that you will then be excluded. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Note the words he uses. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this Greek word practice refers to ongoing habitual behaviour. In other words, it's, there's a lack of repentance. These people's lives are characterised by these things and they don't appear at all to be seeking to overcome them. That's who they are. But that's not who a Christian is. Because a Christian is a repentant person. So what we could say it this way. What Paul is saying is this. Without repentance, a person cannot be saved. Without repentance, some, a person is not going to enter into heaven. Listen to the words of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, Paul, uh, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These have to be among the most terrifying words in Scripture. But Jesus' point is clear. Many will come on that day expecting to be let in because of the apparently great things they've done for Jesus. But Jesus will say, depart, because they are workers of iniquity. Without repentance, we cannot hope to enter heaven. Christians are repentant people. Christians are people who fight with sin. Christians are people who don't just fight against sin outside themselves, sin that they see in the world, sin that they see in our leaders, sin that they see in the community. The chief target of Christian warfare against sin is in our own hearts. Again, listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But listen to what Jesus says following this. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you, you to lose one, part, uh, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is what the, the, the Christian does. The Holy Spirit within them makes us hate sin. He stirs us up so that we make war with that enemy within. We must tear out the eye. We must cut off the hand. We must deal radically. We must make war with sin within. That is the nature of true Christianity. Christians are repentant. Sin within is an enemy. I'm afraid that today so many are sold a false gospel. 
a gospel of forgiveness without repentance. And how horrific to think of so many that will be excluded from heaven because they have believed a false message. Let us be clear, brothers and sisters. Let us be clear. I'll read uh, from Romans 8, 13. Listen to what Paul says. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And he's not thinking there of physical death, which will come upon us all. He is thinking of spiritual and eternal death, of separation from God. If it is the flesh that is driving us in our lives, we will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the only alternative. If you practice the deeds of the flesh, you will die. But if you put them to death, you will live. And so in our time together, let me summarise. We have understood something of the nature of sin. And hopefully we've been able to see and understand something of our remaining fallen nature. We have also identified sins specifically and must do that in our own life. Now what? Now what? Now we must fight. Now we must fight with all the armour and the weapons that God has given us. Paul tells us that we are fully provided for. We've got the full armour of God so that we might go into battle and stand against Satan and his temptations as he seeks to stir up the flesh within. We have the Holy Spirit who resides within us. We have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit to be able to fight with. We've got prayer. We can come to God and we must come to God. We're certainly not going to be able to resist the flesh without the power of the spirit of God. And we can come to him and call upon his name. And we've also got the church to help us. We are a body. We are meant to stand together and fight together. We're told to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. And so we have these wonderful resources that God has given to us. Brothers and sisters, use those things that God has given and fight. Fight against uh, the remaining sin within. Fight against, resist, say no to the deeds of the flesh.
Do not let the flesh rule within your body. And may the Lord have mercy upon us and may we uh, all hear this uh, very clearly today. Let's pray. Oh, our God. We know, we know that there is still so much sin that remains within us. We know that there are so many desires that are of the flesh, corrupt desires, that cry out for gratification. And we can see so many examples in our own lives of the deeds of the flesh. These things that do defile us. These things that are like leaven in the church. These things that harm others around us. These things that bring so much dishonour, Lord Jesus, to your name. And we pray, Lord, we pray that you would help us, you would strengthen us to go on in this fight against sin in our lives. We know that you have come out, you have fought and you have won. We are just living that out in our lives. We pray for your Holy Spirit to persevere with us and to continue to stir within our hearts so that we may not grow weary, but that we might fight the good fight right to the very end. Be with us, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.